بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين أما بعد طيب concerning the hour Iman in the yawm al-akhir Having Iman in the final day What is that in reference to? Day of judgment Can anybody remember something that was said regarding it last session? Session, that's why I said last session, not last week That's right. So Al-Iman, when we say that we are obligated to have Iman in the final day, that is in reference to having Iman in every single thing that has been mentioned in the Qur'an, mentioned in the authentic Sunnah, concerning huh? yeah, and what will happen. Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he, he said something else. Everything that will occur post death. So when we say that the uh, fifth pillar of Iman, the fifth pillar of faith, to have faith in Yawm Al-Akhir, that is in reference to having Iman in every single thing that is to happen after death, every single thing that we have been informed about in the Quran and in the authentic Sunnah as to what is to happen after death. So what's inclusive of that? Inclusive of that is what has been mentioned in the Quran and Sunnah concerning the departure of the soul. How the soul is going to depart. The barzakh, the intermediary realm between this world the day of standing itself. What else is inclusive of Al-Iman bil yawm al-akhir? Faith in the final day. What else is inclusive of it? Hmm? The gathering, the hashar, the gathering. What else? Blowing into the horn, yes? Anything else? Intercession. What else? Sirat, the bridge, paradise, hellfire. All of those matters that have been mentioned in the book in the Sunnah. <clears throat> and then the sixth pillar of Iman. What's the sixth pillar of Iman? Number one. Latin. Iman number one. Iman in Allah. Number two. Iman in the angels. Book. Messenger. Day of judgment. Qadr. Pre-decree. The good of it and the bad of it. How many levels is that? How many, how many levels does belief in pre-decree consist of? Huh? Four. Four. It's the first level. Ilm. Knowledge. Allah's prior knowledge concerning what occurs, uh, what is to occur within uh, this creation is to occur what uh, uh, has occurred, what is occurring, what hasn't occurred and will not occur. But if it 
was to occur, how it would have occurred, when it would have occurred, where it would have occurred. He has absolute all-encompassing knowledge concerning um, what occurs within this creation. Second level. Kitaba. The recording of it in Allah al-Mahfud. The recording of the knowledge that Allah has concerning what is to occur within this creation in a record known as Allah al-Mahfud. Preserved tablet. In a register known as Allah al-Mahfud. Third level. Mashi'ah. Allah willing for it to occur. Fourth level. Allah creating uh, whatever He decrees to occur. Tayyib. Al Ihsan. Al Ihsan. What does the Ihsan mean, literally? Hmm? To perfect. Ihsan literally means to perfect. What is it in reference to as far as our relationship to Allah is concerned? The answer is in the actual text of the hadith. Okay, I've given you the answer. I've, I've given you the clue to the answer. Question is, what is Ihsan as far as our relationship to Allah is concerned? What is perfection of worship? As far as our relationship to Allah is concerned. It's in the hadith. Worship Allah as though you see him. And if it's the case that you don't see him, then surely he sees you. From that, what can we extract? There is something that we mentioned. Concerning. The wording that is present in here. The messenger said, Ihsan is that you worship Allah as though you see Him. If you can't see Him, then surely He sees you. Yeah. Something about the wording. So, Ihsan, this state called Ihsan, that's the highest level of your deen. The best you can ever be. And then the messenger uh, gives us the pillar of this ihsan. You worship Allah as though you see him. If you cannot see him, then surely he sees you. That therefore indicates that ihsan uh, is of two levels itself. One level is what? Muraqaba. To worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala while being conscious of the fact that He is seeing you. He Jalla wa ala, is watching you. And then the one that is higher than that, the highest level of the two is what? Shahada. You worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as though you are standing right in front of Him. Jalla wa The fact of the matter is, the wording of the hadith indicates that the one that does observe the lesser of the two great levels, the lesser of these two great and lofty levels, i.e. the one that observes the level of muraqaba, he worships Allah, while conscious of the fact that his Lord is watching him, 
this will sooner or later lead him to the high level anyhow. Soon this will lead him to the highest level, i.e. he will end up worshipping Allah Jalla wa'ala as though he is standing in front of him, seeing him subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that is the um, explanation of Shaykh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad um, to the seventh part. Yani he, his explanation to this hadith we said is divided into 12 parts. And that is his uh, explanation to the seventh part. Rather, sorry, the eighth part. The, eighth part. the ninth part. That is concerning when the Angel Jibreel, he said to the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, Tell me about a sa'a. Tell me about the hour. Meaning, tell me when it's going to happen. Tell me when the day of judgment is going to happen. And thus the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam responded to him by saying, The question knows no more than the questioner. I know no more than you, the one that is questioning me. So this indicates that Allah Jalla wa'ala, knowledge of the hour, knowledge as to when the appointed time of the day of standing, the day of resurrection is to occur, knowledge of it is something that Allah has kept with himself. Nobody knows it. Nobody knows it. And then Shaykh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad, he mentions uh, several texts. Um, that established that from them is the ayah from Surah Al-Quman Inna Allah indahu ilmu sa'ah Indeed Allah with him is the knowledge of the hour ayah number 43 uh, 34 and uh, likewise the ayah from Surah Al-An'am with him are the keys of the unseen Nobody knows them except for him, except for Allah. Among the keys of the unseen is the hour, is the day of, is the day of judgment. As the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, the hadith recorded by Imam al-Bukhari from Abdullah ibn Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhumah, qala alayhi salatu wasalam, mafatihu al-ghayb khamsa. Messenger said, the keys of the unseen are five, and then he recited the ayah, Inna Allaha indahu ilmu sa'ah. Indeed Allah, indeed with Allah, is the knowledge concerning the hour. The aforementioned ayah from Surah Al-Quman. Likewise, Shaykh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad, he say, يعني, quotes the ayah from uh, Surah Al-A'raf, ayah 187. Yas'alunaka anis sa'ati ayyana mursaha. They ask you, meaning they ask you, O Muhammad, concerning the hour. When will its appointed time be? Qul ilmuha inda Rabbi. Say, O Muhammad, indeed its time is only with my Lord. La yujalliha liwaqtiha illa huwa. None shall reveal it. Yani none is able to reveal that time, the appointed time of the day of, the day of standing, except for him. Yani except for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abbad, then he mentioned the hadith within which there is a mentioning of the fact that the day of standing, the day of judgment, the day of resurrection shall occur a certain day. Friday, 
as for the year that that Friday shall fall in, nobody knows it. The year, the exact year within which the day of standing shall occur, nobody knows it. Which month in that year it shall occur, nobody knows it. Which Friday within the month, is it the first Friday, the second Friday, the third, the fourth, the fifth? Nobody knows it. What has been mentioned in the ahadith, uh, in the hadith of Abi Hurairah, recorded by Imam Abi Dawood in his Sunan, Sheikh Abdul Muhsin al-Abbad, says it's a hadith on Sahih, an authentic hadith. The Messenger, alayhi salatu wa salam, he said, خَيْرُ يَوْمٍ طَلَعَتْ فِيهِ الشَّمْسُ يَوْمُ الْجُمْعَةِ The best day which the sun has ever risen over is Friday. فِيهِ خُلِقَ آدَمْ وَفِيهِ أُهْبِطَ وَفِيهِ تِيبَ عَلَيْهِ وَفِيهِ مَاتَ On that day, on Friday. On Friday, Adam was created. That day, any Friday. On it, Adam was made to Yani was sent to the earth. On it, his repentance was accepted. On it he died. And on it, meaning on Friday. The, the hour shall be established. وَمَا مِنْ دَابَةٍ إِلَّا وَهِيَ مُسِيخَةٌ يَوْمَ الْجُمُعَةِ مِنْ حِينَ تُصْبِحُ حَتَّى تَطْلُعَ الشَّمْسِ شَفَقًا مِنَ السَّاعَةِ إِلَّا الْجِنُ وَالْإِنسِ And that there isn't any creature except that it is looking out on Friday, from the time that that creature wakes up up until sunrise, there is no creature that exists upon the earth on Friday, except that he is looking out for the hour to occur every single Friday, from the time that it wakes up all the way till uh, 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 sunrise. Out of fear for the hour, out of fear of the hour, out of fear of the day of standing, except for human beings, except for jinn and human beings, except for jinn and human beings. So this hadith, therefore, Ya it indicates that nobody knows as to when the day of standing, the day of judgment is to occur, except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, every single person is equal concerning knowledge of the appointed time of the day of standing. The messenger Alayhi salatu wasalam, who is the most knowledgeable of all human beings, he does not have knowledge of the day of standing, i.e. as to when it is to, when it is to occur. And the angel, Jibreel, who is the most knowledgeable of all of the angels, he doesn't know as to when the day of standing is to occur. So if these two who are the most knowledgeable of human beings and the most knowledgeable of the angels, when they don't know when the day of standing, the day of resurrection is to occur, then how about those that are less than them in knowledge? So that is part number nine. Part number ten. قَالَ فَأَخْبِرْنِي عَنْ أَمَارَاتِهَا 
the angel Jibreel, he said, tell me about its amarat, the signs of the day of standing. Those indications that indicate that the day of standing is coming. He replied by saying, The messenger he makes a mention of two signs of the day of standing. Two signs that the day of standing uh, is near. The first one, that the slave girl will give birth to her mistress and into the female master and that you shall see the barefoot naked shepherds and the Bedouin shepherds competing uh, in erecting tall buildings so Sheikh Abdul Muhsil Abban he says that the signs of the day of standing the signs of the hour they are of divided into two they have two categories Number one, those signs that indicate that it is very, يعني, uh, very close relative to the other signs, to the minor signs. Those signs that are close to the establishment of the day of standing, like the uh, emergence of the sun rising from the west. Likewise, the emergence of a Dajjal, the Antichrist. Likewise, the emergence of Ya'juj wa Ma'juj, Gog and Magog. Likewise, the descent of Isa ibn Maryam, Jesus the son of Mary, alayhi salatu wassalam. And then you have alamat sughra, yani the minor signs, those signs that are, that, are, that are to occur before these, before the major signs. And two of them have been mentioned in this hadith. One of them is that the uh, slave girl shall give birth to her mistress. Among the explanations to this is that there will be futuhat, there will be conquest, victories. As a result of that, there will be slaves. And then there will be from amongst those slaves, the female slaves, that will have uh, relations with her master. And thus, as a result of that, she'll end up giving birth to a son, a son that will be a free person, and therefore he will have He'll be in the station of being a master. She's a slave girl. He's, he is a freed man. She's a freed daughter. And thus they'll have the station of being a master or a mistress. Likewise, from the explanations that have been given, given of this hadith, is that things will change. What will change? The attitude of children towards their parents are going to change greatly in that the children will become disobedient towards their parents, disrespectful towards their parents, to such an extent it is as though he is a master over his mother. It is to such an extent it is as though she is a master over her mother, master over the father, master over يعني, the parents. And this, has some, this is something, both of these are matters that have already occurred. The second mentioning in this hadith concerning the signs of the hour is that you're going to find the barefoot, naked, destitute Arab shepherd competing with each other in erecting tall buildings. 
this as well is something that we have already seen. Something that is visible to any human being that exists within the world. 70, 80 odd years ago, those people that lived within uh, the Gulf, the people that were not uh, affluent and rich people, 70, 80, whatever the, the time was, 70, 80 years ago, whatever it was. They weren't people that were rich. They were not people that were affluent. Shepherds. Tending to their flocks. Now you find that those very same people have become extremely wealthy. And now they are, as we all know, building tall buildings. It's common. Anywhere you go within the Gulf, building tall buildings. Tallest building in the world. Burj Khalifa in Dubai. So this uh, Sheikh Abdul Mahsul Abad, he says both of these signs is something that has already occurred. Yani that the slave girl will give birth to the mistress. Both interpretations that it carries have been uh, have been occurred. Likewise, the fact that the poor Arabs have now become affluent and rich, extremely wealthy, that they are building tall buildings. Then that's the um, explanation to part number 10. Part number 11. ثم انطلق فلبث مليا ثم قال يا عمر أتدري من السائل قلت والله ورسوله أعلم then he went off then he went off يعني the man that came in extremely white clothes extremely black hair sat in front of the messenger عليه الصلاة والسلام and then posed these questions to him that man that man went off and so the Messenger والسلام, stayed for a while, stayed for a, a long period of time. And then he said, Oh Umar, do you know who the questioner was? I said, Allah and his Messenger know better. He said, Indeed, he was Jibreel. He came to teach you your deen. He came to teach you your, your religion. So, sh yeah. That was number 11, yeah. Did I say something else? Oh, is it? Yeah. Tayyab. So point, uh, you lost me off track now. <laughs> uh, Sheikh Abdul Masih Al-Abad, he highlights here that this uh, narration, there are, other, there are other narrations within which there is a mentioning of the fact that the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam met Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu three days later. Okay, that the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam met Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu three days later. And thus, when in this wording here, in this narration here, when the Messenger says to Umar, uh, you know who the questioner was, meaning the Messenger met Umar three days later, and then after that, he asked him uh, this question. And then he said to him, what he said to him, that it was Jibreel, that Jibreel came to teach him the religion. طيب. Part number 12 مما يستفاد من الحديث So a summary of the benefits that are derived from this hadith We will mention them and Then we will go on to hadith number 3 Number 1 Just as a questioner Asks a question To learn Then he can also ask In order to teach he asks someone a question so that the answer can be heard by everybody else that's in the 
in the gathering. Number two, second benefit, that the angels can transform from their actual uh, original state. They can appear in the in human form. This is not an allowance for acting though. Angels can uh, transform, they can take on board human form. However, this is not an allowance for acting. Acting. Any acting, you know, like theatre acting, play acting. This is not an allowance for acting uh, because that is a form of lying. And that which occurred to Jibreel alayhi salam was something that occurred by the power of Allah and by his permission. Number three, this hadith in it is a highlight the etiquette of a learner and uh, how he should be with the teacher. Number four, fourth benefit, is that when Islam and Iman are mentioned together in a single context, then Islam is in reference to external matters, and Iman is in reference to external matters. Number five, Al-Badu bil ahammi fal aham. Five is the fact that this hadith highlights the importance of starting with the most important matter and then that which follows on after it in importance. Thus we find that Islam was explained يعني, as a shahada. The messenger began in explaining Islam with the two shahadas, with the two testimonies of faith. And he began explaining Iman Iman in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Number six. Islam, its pillars are five. That Iman, its pillars are six. Number seven. That Iman, the pillars of, the pillars of Iman, is part and parcel of having Iman in the unseen. Number eight. This hadith, it highlights that there is a difference in level and in level between Islam and Iman and Ihsan. There's a difference, there's a difference in levels. One is higher than the other. Number nine. This hadith, it highlights the lofty and high level and station and status of Ihsan. This hadith highlights the lofty station, the high station of Ihsan. Number 10. Knowledge when the hour is something that Allah has kept hidden with himself. Number 11. A, men a, a mentioning of something from the signs of the hour. Number 11, this hadith in it is a mentioning of something from the signs of the hour. And number 12, that uh, when a person is asked about something that he's ignorant of, he should say, Allahu A'lam, Allah knows better. Allah knows better. Tayyip. Got those down, does anything need repeating?
All of it. Right after the recording. طيب. Okay, what we'll do now is we'll move on to hadith number three. But before we do that, who's memorized it? Who wants to read the hadith? Short hadith. Anybody? Sure, I did say last session. The homework is to memorize the hadith. Last fadliyadu. طيب, so Shaykh Abdul Mahsin Abbad, his explanation to this hadith is divided into 12 parts. 12 short parts. Number one, um, or rather, translate the hadith first. So, the hadith is the hadith of Abi Abdul Rahman, uh, Abdullah ibn Umar ibn Khattab, son of Umar ibn Khattab, who said that I heard the Messenger والسلام, say, Islam is built upon five. Islam is built upon five. Then he mentions them. Testifying that no God has a right of being worshipped except Allah. That Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. Establishment of the prayer. Giving us zakah. Hajj. And a pilgrimage of the house, pilgrimage to the house, fasting in Ramadan. Sheikh Abdul Muhsin, as far as the first part is concerned, the first part of his explanation is concerned, that is concerning the statement of the Messenger, Buni al Islam ala khams. Islam is built upon five. Built upon five. This therefore indicates that the, the great. Uh, uh, um, the great affair, the great station and status, the great significance of these five, of these five that the messenger mentioned in this hadith, i.e. the fact that Islam is built upon it. Your religion, your deen, that deen that is your uh, means of salvation, it is built upon these five things. It is constructed upon these five things. It is what? Based upon these five things. And this is وَهُوَ تَشْبِيُهُ الْمَعْنَوِيُّ بِالْبِنَاءِ الْحِسِّينَ This is the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam giving us a, uh, a comparison. Comparing something that is abstract in meaning to something that is physical in meaning. Something like يعني, comparing Islam to something that is actually physical. Uh, a physical building. And just like a building has its supports, and if it is the case that يعني, that building it cannot stand without those supports being there, then in a similar manner, Islam it stands upon these supports. Without these supports, that Islam, without these five supports, this Islam, it will it will not stand. The fact that the Messenger limited the pillars of Islam to five is due to the fact that they are asas li They are a basis for everything else. 
rest of the obligations of your deen, the rest of the affairs of your deen, they are tabi'un laha. They follow on after them. These are the, this is the basis. These five pillars, they are the basis of your deen. Then everything else, they follow on from them. They are يعني, subsidiary to, to them. That's the first part. Second part. If you notice, this hadith, what's the content of this hadith? Five pillars of, five pillars of Islam. And these five pillars, they were mentioned already in the hadith of Jibreel alayhi salatu wasalam. So why did Imam al-Nawi make a mention of this hadith straight after the hadith of Jibreel? Why did Imam al-Nawi put this hadith in his collection of 40? What's the significance behind him putting this hadith in this collection? Because the hadith number two is a hadith of Jibreel. In the hadith of Jibreel, the angel says to the messenger, Akhbirni an al-Islam. Tell me about Islam. The messenger says, Al-Islam, tashhadan la ilaha illallah, to the end of it. Islam, and then he mentions um, these very same five matters that have been mentioned in this hadith. So why did Imam al-Nawi Uh, 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 put this hadith in this collection even though these five matters have already been mentioned okay you're close to explain it in detail what's the detail in here there is Sheikh Abdul he says fihi ma'na za'id ala ma ja'a fi hadith Jibreel in this hadith this hadith of Ibn Umar is an extra piece of information extra to the hadith of Ibril, what's the extra piece of information? Hmm. Think about the hadith. How does it begin? Islam. Yeah, now the messenger is explicitly mentioning Islam is what? Built upon five. Based upon five. Constructed upon five. So here there's an explicit mentioning of the fact that these are Pillars of our deen and Islam is based upon it, founded upon it. If you don't have it, then there is no, there is no deen. If all of these five pillars are not present, there is no deen. Just as a building can't stand without five pillars, Islam can't stand except with these five pillars. So therefore, this extra information that is contained in this second hadith, the fact that the messenger explicitly mentions that Islam is based upon it, this extra information highlights the great importance of the five pillars of Islam. Why? Because the messenger said Islam is built upon Islam is built upon it. Part number three. So these five pillars upon which Islam is built, the first of these five pillars is the shahadatan, the two testimonies of faith. And they are the basis of all the pillars. They are the basis of all the pillars. The rest of the pillars, the rest of the four pillars, tabi'un laha, they follow on after them. Hence, a person being observant 
of any of those four remaining pillars of Islam without him embracing this first pillar and all the observation and practice of the other four pillars is going to be what? It's going to be an effort that's lost in vain. It's going to be useless. So a, a person uh, establishes a salah, he prays five times a day, does not testify. No God has the right to being worshipped except Allah. He doesn't testify that Muhammad والسلام, is a messenger of Allah. That type of person, his salah is going to be useless. It's, not, it's going to be of no benefit to him. Likewise, if he gives the poor due, likewise, if he fasts in Ramadan, likewise, if he goes and performs hajj, but he does not, and he has not embraced the first pillar of Islam, i.e. the two testimonies of faith, then all of his actions, they are going to be, uh, they are going to be of no benefit to him. Why? Because those four pillars are based upon the first pillar. And both of these two matters that are found within the first pillar, both of these two testimonies that are found in the first pillar, they are mutalazimatan. They are both indispensable from each other. Both of them necessitate the other. Both of them demand the, the other. So, for, for example, to make that clear, a person, he testifies that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But he does not testify that Muhammad is the final messenger of Allah. That, 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 the fact that he does not testify that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah has made his testification that Allah is the only one that has the right to be worshipped to be null, to be void. If a person testifies that Muhammad والسلام, is the messenger of Allah والسلام, however, he does not testify that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala should be worshipped and that has cancelled his testification that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. So both of the two are indispensable from each other. They both necessitate the other. If it's the case that you haven't testified to one or you haven't acted upon one because they both require something from you, demand something from you. La ilaha illallah demands that you single out Allah as your object of worship and that Muhammad Rasulullah that, that demands from you that you single out Muhammad as the one who is to be followed that you do not worship anyone that you do not worship Allah except how the Prophet taught us how to worship him these, these are the two, and this is what the, the, the two testimonies of faith, they necessitate from us in terms of our actions. But if a person, he rejects one of these testimonies, then in fact he has rejected the other. Point number four, part number four. person may say, why is it the case that in this hadith, of the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, the other pillars of Iman weren't mentioned. Iman in the Prophets, Iman in the Angels, 
all of those other matters that were mentioned in the hadith of Jibreel, why were they not mentioned here? That's the answer to that. He gives a, uh, he quotes from Ibn al-Hajar. Okay. But we know that uh, and in the hadith of Jibreel والسلام, there were other details that were mentioned concerning the religion. Why were they not mentioned here? Okay. okay. Not what I'm looking for. It's a, it's a good job though. It has potent. Something else though. Why is it the case that they didn't mention this hadith? Having Iman in Muhammad Rasulullah and likewise mentioning Iman in the other prophets, Iman in the books. Ibn Hajj al-Asqalani he says because that is something that is inclusive of you testifying that the Messenger is the final messenger. If you testify that Muhammad is the final messenger, inclusive of that is to believe in every single thing, every, every, everything else that he informed you of. That's one explanation. Another explanation is that this is from Tasmiyat al-Shaybi Ba'dihi. This is from mentioning uh, or intending, mentioning, intending something by intending a thing by mentioning something of it. Intending a thing by mentioning only a part of it. Okay? You intend a certain thing, but the actual thing that you explicitly mention is just a portion of that thing. But what you actually intend is the entirety of that thing. Let me give an example. Sheikh Abdul Rahman Abbad he gives an example to uh, clarify that. A person, he says, I got up and I prayed my salah. I said, Allahu Akbar. And then I recited Alhamd. person says, I got up, I said, Takbiratul Ihram, and then I recited Alhamd. What does he mean by that? What does he mean by Alhamd? Surah Al-Fatiha, but he didn't say the whole. He didn't say, I got up and I recited Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. He doesn't say that. He just says Alhamd. He mentions a ba'duhu. He mentions a, a portion of it, intending by way of it, the whole of it. Okay? So that there is an example of Tasmiyatu Shay'i bi ba'dihi mentioning or intending a thing, but mentioning just a part of it. So here, the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he mentions uh, 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 the testification that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that Muhammad is his messenger uh, mentioning يعني, a part of the deen of Islam intending by way of that by way of that, the whole of it, the rest of it. Part number five. Ahamu arkan islam al-khamsah ba'd shahadatain al-salah Part number five is concerning the Salah. And that, that is the most important thing. Five daily prayers. They are the most important of things after the testification of faith. 
And then Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abad, he mentioned some of the statements of the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, uh, that highlight that. Obviously, the fact that it's been mentioned immediately after the Shahada. The fact that the Salat has been mentioned immediately after the Shahada highlights the great importance of it. The Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, he mentioned that the Salat is the Amud al-Islam, the support of Islam. Likewise, Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam mentioned that it's going to be the last thing that's going to be taken from the deen, lost from the deen. Likewise, the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he mentioned that the salah is the first thing that a person is going to be taken to account for, the day of standing. Likewise, the fourth matter, the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam mentioned that uh, salah, it is distinguishing factor between a Muslim and a disbeliever. I need the hadith from them, from those ahadith, al-ahd al-ladhi baynana wa baynahum, salah, man tarakaha faqad kafar. Covenant that is between us and them is a salah. So whoever abandons it has disbelieved. And then Shaykh Abdul Hussain Abad, he mentions the fact that the establishment of the prayer is of two states. It falls into two states. Wajibah mustahabah, obligatory and supererogatory. The obligatory establishment of the prayer is to يعني, establish the prayer, fulfilling, uh, ensuring that the conditions are pre- present, and that, the, uh, that the conditions are met, and that the uh, pillars are present, that the wajibat, the obligations are observed, um, such that the obligation of praying, praying the prayer has been lifted from your head, such that the obligation of praying the prayer, you are now absolved from it. That is one hala. That is the first, one hala, one state. That is al-hala al-wajibah. The obligatory state of establishing the prayer. You meet the conditions of the prayer, for example, istiqbal, <coughs> qibla, tahara, purification, facing the qibla, and the arkan of salah, takbirat al ihram, and qiyam, wajibat of the salah, and the sami Allah, liman hamida, making the adkar in your ruku and your sujood. These matters have to be fulfilled, all of them, all of them, have to be fulfilled, all of the shurut of salah, all of the arkan of salah, all of the wajibat of salah. If you miss something from the wajibat of salah, obviously perform your sujud al-sahu. The point being is that this is what you call al-halal wajibat. If, if it is the case that you fulfill this, then the obligation that is on your head in terms of fulfilling it, you have now become absolved from it. The second hala is al-hala al-mustahabba, superrogatory state. And that is that you establish the prayer with its, obviously, conditions and its pillars and its obligations, but then in addition to that with the mustahabba, yani the sunan of salah, the sunan of salah. For example, dua al-istiftah at the beginning, reciting a surah after surah al-fatiha, uh, in those matters. طيب, number six. 
الزكاه هي قرينه الصلاه في كتاب الله سبحانه وتعالى وسنه رسوله عليه الصلاه والسلام zakah is a qareena it is something that you find being mentioned alongside as salah within the book of allah and within the sunnah of the messenger alayhi salatu wassalam and then the shaykh abdul muhsin abad he mentioned uh, three ayat concerning them um, and one of them is the ayah that we told and included will be aware of wa ma umiru la ya'budu allah lisina lahu ad-din hanafa yuqimu as-salah they were not commanded except to worship Allah, making the deen sincerely for Him, being Hunafa, being monotheists, establishing the Salah, and giving the poor So the fact that the. So here we basically find that the Salah and the Zakah have been mentioned together. وَهِيَ عِبَادَةٌ مَالِيَةٌ نَفْعُهَا مُتَعَدٍ Zakah is an act of worship that is, ba- that is يعني a wealth-based act of worship. عِبَادَةٌ مَالِيَةٌ It is a wealth-based act of worship. And the benefit of a zakah is متعدي. It is متعدي. يعني it transcends beyond the actual giver of zakah but it, it, يعني, it transcends onto other people others are recipients of the benefit of him engaging in this act of worship zakah is an act of worship a money a, a wealth based act of worship and the benefit behind it is mutaaddi mutaaddi like you say about a verb a verb is mutaaddi meaning it's transitive there is an object to that particular verb. There is a recipient to the action of that particular particular verb. So in a similar fashion, the benefit of a zakah, its benefit is muta'addi. Goes beyond just the one that is giving a zakah. Any others benefit from it as well, no doubt. Shaykh Abdul Masih Abad, he then says, وَقَدْ أَوْجَبَهَ اللَّهُ فِي أَمْوَالِ الْأَغْنِيَاءِ عَلَى وَجْهِ عَلَى وَجْهٍ ينفعُ الفقير ولا يضر الغني لأنها شيء يسير من مال كثير Allah has obligated this zakah concerning the wealth of the rich people in a way by way of which the poor people can benefit from it but likewise the rich person that is giving the wealth he is not going to incur any type of harm by giving it why? Because it's just a small portion of wealth from a lot of wealth. It's a small portion of wealth taken from a lot of wealth. And that there was the end of Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Abbas' explanation, or يعني, his um, sixth part of his explanation, this hadith. And we'll suffice with that, and then we'll continue with uh, the rest of the parts of explanation, part number 7, 8, 9, uh, 10, 11, and 12 next session inshallah ta'ala and then most likely move on to the hadith al-rabi' the fourth hadith the hadith of Abdullah ibn Mas'ud so inshallah ta'ala those brothers that can uh, memorize hadith number four for next week um, then that shall be good Allah ta'ala a'lam wa sallallahu ala nabiyyina muhammad walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen